be reading from Matthew 11. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. And as you guys grab your Bibles and turn there, if I could ask you all to stand, if you're able to stand, for the reading of God's Word. And we'll be reading Matthew 11, verses 20 through 30. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And for you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done... In Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You may all have a seat. And please bow with me in a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are the only God, and you have revealed yourself to your people, that we might know who you are, and that we might know the only way to salvation through Christ. Lord, I ask this morning that your word would fill our hearts and minds, even as Mark preaches from home, as uh, he takes care of his family, and uh, some of the sickness has, has come through his family. Lord, we pray for healing there, but also for your protection, but also that even though he may not be present with us today, that your word would still accomplish its work in the lives of the hearers, Lord. Please remind us today of the truths of who you are and what you're doing in the world and the plan of redemption in Christ. May your spirit work through these words, bringing comfort for those who are ailing, encouragement for those who are feeling weak, and conviction and discipline for those who are unruly. Father, we lift up those who are in high positions. We thank you for them, Lord, but we also ask that you would save them. We ask that you would transform the hearts and minds of those who are at the highest levels of government down to those at the local level who have to make decisions that affect the lives of many Christians. Would those decisions be informed by the truth that you are King of Kings and the Lord over all, and that the things that you value are not necessarily the things that the world values. And we ask these things so that our mission to make disciples of Christ would not be hindered, and that we would continue to see more and more people added to your church and shining the light brighter and brighter as the world continues in darkness. And may your church shine that light ever more brightly, now through a unity that is set starkly against the darkness of the world and the division that we see in the world. And we ask this for our own church, but we also pray for every church with Christ as its head. Would there be a reflection of one God 
and one spirit, one Savior and Lord, in the unity and love and of peace that we reflect to the world. And we pray that you would bring about healing and relief from those suffering from the recent surges in COVID-19 cases, but more so that you would use these circumstances to bring about an eternal healing from the disease of sin. When many are looking to a vaccine as a savior, we're reminded that even the most effective vaccines can't prevent death and can't prevent, prevent judgment. And the only hope for sinners is you, Jesus Christ. We pray for boldness in our church that our actions would not be dictated by fear of retribution or sinful self-preservation or in a manner that is ashamed of the gospel. But may we be a church that is characterized by a deep and abiding love of your word and a zeal to obey it and a desire to see the name of Christ exalted and to see lost souls saved. We ask for a wisdom and a discernment that comes from above and for our church leaders too. And also for humility to know that this comes from you and it doesn't come from us. Father, we repent of all the ways that we have been striving in our own strength rather than resting in the strength that you supply. We repent of all the ways that we take matters into our own hands and taking your gospel message and contorting it to minimize your role in our lives. So take our pride and take our anxiety, take our quarreling and our selfishness and may we lay them at the cross and put them to death and receive a new life in the righteousness of Christ. Father, help us. We know that there are many in our midst who are enduring hardship right now. Some of it's health concerns. Others have other difficult life circumstances, family members, loss of jobs. Would you remind those suffering that you are with us and that you make incredible assurances in your word that you're actively working out these hard things for the good in ways that we can eagerly anticipate, Lord. But we're also reminded that we are created and then saved for eternity with you. Our lives here are temporary and that we have an eternity to look forward to and enjoy. Help us to persevere in hope, knowing that you are at work and the hope that we have in you is not just wishful thinking, but it's a certainty that we have in you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our church and in our lives during this difficult season. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. All right, I believe that uh, we'll now be switching over to a live stream of Mark um, uh, from, from his home. So I'll leave it to the ABE team to do that. Well, good morning, Lighthouse Bible Church, San Jose. Um, this is indeed a, an interesting Thanksgiving worship service for the for the Chin family. Last night, the joys of parenthood crept up on us at around 1.30 in the morning, and uh, we turned and uh, woke up to uh, one of our boys standing by the side of our bed, uh, explaining to us that he had a tummy ache. 
and uh, good father that I am, I, I wanted to go back to sleep under the covers and uh, believe that there was no problem at all. But uh, over the next hour or two, uh, Julie and I were able to uh, have one of those discussions prompted by the Lord and prompted by our children. We wanted to uh, really honor um, the spirit of the leadership at Lighthouse Bible Church San Jose, where our desire is to put our own preferences aside and put the well-being of the church first. And uh, just to let you know, our, our boys are doing well this morning, but we decided in the best interest of the church that we would stay home just to make sure that you are all safe and that we don't spread anything but love and good news to all of you. So um, thank you for bearing with us. I know this is a little bit different. There's a special thanks and a shout out to our AV team. Kevin Lee's been working with me this morning from 7.30 onwards uh, to work out all the Zoom kinks in order for us to be together this morning. And Cat uh, Lou and Trish and Josephine as well have been working diligently um, on trying to get things together. And I think uh, some of the slides for the songs where maybe some of the words might have been a little bit off, well, it's probably because I was uh, demanding most of their attention this morning. And uh, we're just so thankful through this process. It is indeed a blessing for our family to go through this. It's a joy in its own way uh, for us to walk through what many families have walked through. And, and now it's our turn to be separate from you, which is a bit of a disappointment. It had been my desire really for the past two weeks to share this message with you. It's a little bit like the Apostle Paul. My heart's desire in particular was to uh, be there in person with you, but the Lord had other plans in mind for us. So we'll have to share it uh, not by letter, but by live stream. Uh, a special welcome to all of you who have joined us for Thanksgiving online or in person, and we do have a, a friend who's visiting, Diana Vo from Grace Community Church, who came out. And Diana, we'd hope to spend a little bit of time with you this morning and catch up with you. And I'm sorry we can't be there in person, but uh, I'm sure our church will show you our love. Well, um, this has been and continues to be a strange and atypical Thanksgiving. And uh, in light of everything that's happened and, and that continues to happen, it's a Thanksgiving that really has caused us to stop and ask ourselves, what is it that we're truly thankful for, especially as this global pandemic and all the lack of predictability and uncertainties have taken away many of the things that we typically celebrate and give thanks for at this time of the year. What exactly are we thankful for this Thanksgiving? And what's easy to forget, brothers and sisters, during this time where everything seems a little bit strange and a little bit off and a little bit different, what's easy to forget is that the very first Thanksgivings in America were, by and large, unpredictable and humble and very, very different for those who were giving thanks. And this was a practice that was done by the Puritans or the pilgrims who had fled religious persecution for their reformed faith in England, and they had signed up to go in the Mayflower, and they had signed up to go with the London Company to Virginia and to Plymouth in order to have the opportunity to have a freedom to worship their God according to Scripture and not according to 
the legislation of the land. In England at that time, uh, men and women were being put in prison during different periods of time leading up to the pilgrims coming. John Bunyan, who spent 12 years in jail and used that time to write Pilgrim's Progress, well, he was one of the Puritans who was jailed for preaching the gospel outside of a legislated Church of England. And so as the Puritans and the Pilgrims came to America, we forget what they were giving thanks for was something very different than what we typically give thanks for around the dinner table. Friends, family, food, job, nice houses, nice cars, all of these different things that we give thanks for. Well, those Puritans and Pilgrims who signed up to go on those commercial boats across the Atlantic, they were simply gathering together to give thanks to the God of the Bible and to give thanks to him for keeping them alive across that Atlantic passage, which was by no means easy and filled with disease and danger, but also giving thanks to the Lord for keeping them alive during those first few months and first years in what was a dangerous and difficult new country or new land or new home. For God to keep them alive from danger, from disease, from hunger, from starvation, all of these basic things and all of these difficult things. And so in many ways, as we think about that, that those first Thanksgivings were probably a lot closer to what we're going through in this pandemic than what many of our Thanksgivings have been in recent years. And it's worth noting that for those pilgrims and those Puritans, this, this day, this day was considered to be, or Thanksgiving was considered to be a holy day, a day that was set apart, not for themselves, not for their material wealth, not for their material blessing, but it was a day that was really set apart to focus on the Lord the one who had given them salvation and given them life. The history of these feasts of thanksgiving was part of the Reformation among the Puritans in England. Up until that time, within the Roman Catholic Church, feasts and holidays revolved around celebrating different saints, saints who were patron saints to your particular work, your particular area of life, and if you wanted a blessing, you celebrated those patron saint days. The idea is you celebrated that saint and that saint went to the Lord and he interceded on your behalf. And if you did enough good things for that saint, you would receive a blessing in your particular area of life. Well, when the Puritans came in, their desire and heart was the Reformation would continue and that all of worship would come back to the scriptures and the gospel. And so they walked away from those feasts and what they did was they set apart feast days in celebration of the Lord's salvation in their life. And this was not something that the Puritans or the pilgrims came up with on their own. They were actually tracing this tradition back to the scripture, where the people of God gathered together in the presence of God to celebrate their God, to celebrate the giver of the gift to celebrate his goodness and his salvation in their lives. This we see going all the way back to the Exodus, as Moses leads the children of Israel out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt, after all the plagues that happened in Egypt, delivering them out of that to bring them apart 
to be with a God who loved them and saved them and is the only true God. And as we come to 1 Timothy, our text for this morning, we see this same pattern in the life of the Apostle Paul. And that is because the Apostle Paul was a child of God, and his heart is overwhelmed and filled with gratitude. What's his heart filled with gratitude for? It's not the big house. It's not the big car. It's not the great job in Silicon Valley. It's not even, per se, family and friends. His heart is overwhelmed with praise and thanksgiving and gratitude for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and for the good news of his gospel, because that is what has saved the Apostle Paul from his sin, and that is what has brought him into the family of God. That is what has given him fellowship with the saints in Ephesus and with Timothy, and that is what has given him a ministry and a life that he does not deserve. And this, for the Apostle Paul, is what knocks him off his feet and gives him a heart filled with gratitude. So this morning, as we consider Thanksgiving, and we come before the Lord and we gather together, even as some of us are apart, my heart's desire for you is that we have an opportunity to consider God's gift of gratitude, that he has given us as believers an opportunity, even in the hardest of circumstances, to have our hearts filled with praise and gratitude for something far more wonderful than what we typically give thanks for each Thanksgiving. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll come to verses 12 through, through 17. This is a passage, brothers and sisters, that we've been through before, but I wanted to come as part of this series on good servants of Christ Jesus to consider how the Lord teaches us and gives us instruction and encouragement about how we as the children of God can be thankful. Not only thankful, but the most thankful of all people, even in very difficult circumstances. 1 Timothy 1, verse 12. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. This is the Apostle Paul speaking and writing to Timothy. He says in verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason. That in me is the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. 
This is the word of the Lord. It's often overlooked when we consider the Apostle Paul, and we consider his ministry, and we think of all the debates that happen about the Apostle Paul, his doctrine, his theology, his teaching. What's often overlooked is how big a role gratitude plays in his doctrine, in his theology, in his preaching, and in his life. As you go through his epistles, you will see that thanksgiving, gratitude, giving praise to the Lord is a recurrent and prevalent theme. And it's a recurrent and prevalent theme, especially, especially when his life is particularly difficult, when ministry is hard, when he's receiving an incredible amount of pushback, when he's in jail or he is in prison. And yet despite those things, or maybe because of those things, the Apostle Paul is especially fixated on his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and his heart is overflowing with gratitude and joy and praise to the Lord. And it's worth noting, because this is God's desire for your life, brothers and sisters, and for mine. It's not just exclusive to the Apostle Paul. It's meant for all of us. And the reason as we look at the Apostle Paul's life for why this is the case, what is the secret for the Apostle Paul to have a heart of gratitude when the things that most people delight in have been taken away? Well, it's very simple. The Apostle Paul's life is focused and built around not the things of this world. His life does not revolve around the things that we typically get excited about or celebrate. His life is built around and focused on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the gospel. And this is what gets the Apostle Paul excited. And this is what protects his heart. And this is what gives him hope and joy and an abundance of thanksgiving, even when the rest of the world is crumbling. And this brings us to our first point for this morning. A good servant of Christ Jesus appreciates who Jesus is. A good servant of Christ Jesus appreciates who Jesus is. Brothers and sisters, when our eyes are focused on all the things of this world, what we miss out on seeing is how beautiful and gracious and wonderful and what an incredible gift our Lord and Savior Jesus is, who he is. If I was to stop and ask each one of you, well, who is Jesus to you? What would you say? And many would stumble over it or not be sure or try to put together a theological definition or he's the incarnation or he's God who's come down. But who is he to you? Do you appreciate who he truly is? Do you have a taste of the sweetness and the goodness of who Jesus is? Well, the Apostle Paul had that and it made all the difference in his life. And it's what set him apart as a good servant of Christ Jesus. Because that appreciation of who Jesus is, even when Paul was in a jail cell, was something that overwhelmed and overshadowed the entirety of his circumstances. His joy was bigger than the adversity that he faced. In 2003, and I'm just saying this, what a contrast to the world we live in and the world of celebrity that we celebrate. In 2003, NBA basketball player Carmelo Anthony received an ESPY award. I still remember, before many of you were born, I still remember his acceptance speech. I was watching it, and it shocked me. 
And if you were there, you'd recall this, that what he did at that ESPY award was he made it a point as he gave thanks for this award. Typically, people go through, they thank their coaches, they thank their family, their friends. But what Carmelo did was he made it a point to thank himself, to thank himself and for all his hard work for getting this award for himself. And it was done with a bit of a smirk and done a little tongue-in-cheek. And we may laugh and we may cringe at this. And what's very telling is Carmelo Anthony thanked himself is that the rest of his career would be marked by incredible individual achievement on the basketball court. But one would argue very little contribution on a team level or in a contribution in many other ways individual achievement and a celebration of self and being thankful for all your own gifts and hard work and all the rewards that come with it, but very little thanks and very little contribution to others. Well, brothers and sisters, we may laugh and cringe at that, and we may even be shocked at that, but this is what many of us do at Thanksgiving. It's what many of us do at Thanksgiving when we celebrate or give thanks or we social media all the things that we're thankful for with very little regard to the one who has given us all these things and brothers and sisters when we say well that's not me but as we watch the thanksgiving day parades and we see all the celebrities well healed and well dressed getting on tv and what do they all give thanks for well i'd like to thank I'm thankful for friends this Thanksgiving. I'm thankful for family this Thanksgiving. I'm thankful for my freedom in America. All these different things that they're thankful for, with not a mention or barely a mention of the one who has given it to them. And many times our Thanksgiving around the dinner table can be the same, where our focus is on all the material things that we are thankful for, all the things that we're thankful for, including freedom of worship, with very little appreciation or understanding of the one who has given it to us. And when we do that, brothers and sisters, we're not that much different from Carmelo Anthony. Because what we're doing, really, is we're thanking ourselves. What we're doing, really, is we're celebrating what a great life we have here in America. And what's lost in the shadow and what is trivialized and what is minimized is the one who has given us that gift. Well, when it comes to Thanksgiving, brothers and sisters, we see that the Apostle Paul's focus and his priority here in all his epistles, it's not about himself. It's not about his talent. It's not about his hard work. It's not about his ministry. It's not about his giftedness. His focus and priority is about appreciating the one who has given him what he does not deserve. His focus and his priority is on appreciating the one who has given him what he so desperately needs and what he does not deserve. First Timothy 1.12, he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord. And when he says that, I thank him, in the Greek, it's literally, I have grace. The word that's used, he says, I have, I possess this. I possess gratitude. He uses the word grace or the word that's used in Greek for grace or joy. I have grace and I have joy 
I have gratitude. And the implication from the language here is that thanksgiving and gratitude comes from grace. It comes from receiving a gift or a blessing that we do not deserve. It comes from receiving a gift or a blessing that we did not earn or merit. It comes from receiving a gift or a blessing that we should not have. Okay, what a different mindset and mentality so often in Thanksgiving, where we feel entitled to all of these things. And just to show you what happens when our families get taken away from us. What happens when our friends get taken away from us? What happens when our homes or our jobs get taken away from us? If you're like me, you struggle with being discouraged. You struggle with maybe giving up hope. You struggle with being anxious. What are we going to do? But you see, for the Apostle Paul, his hope is fixed on Christ. And he acknowledges by saying, I have grace, I have gratitude. What he's implying is, I don't deserve any of this. All of this that I have received, I shouldn't have had in the first place. If the Lord takes it away, it wasn't coming to me in the first place. And it gives him great delight and joy, not so much in the gift, but in the giver, the one who has given it to him. The other implication that comes from this is we see the Apostle Paul saying, I thank him who has given me strength. What the Apostle Paul is saying with this is that his gratitude is really a confession of his weakness. His gratitude is a confession of his desperate need. His gratitude is a confession of his indebtedness of grace to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Gratitude, brothers and sisters, and the Apostle Paul shows us this, is about a relationship. It's about a bond that ties two people together. And it ties two people together because one person in that relationship has given something that the other person does not deserve. The Apostle Paul, throughout the rest of his life, will always be indebted. And he will always have a great love for his Savior, Jesus Christ. And he will always remember how much he owes our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ for the Apostle Paul? Well, for for the Apostle Paul, Jesus Christ is the one he is indebted to, the one he is a debtor of grace to. And so we see in Paul's ministry and his service, if he's in jail, it doesn't matter because it's for Jesus. Jesus has given far more to him. If he is being whipped for the sake of the gospel, if he has lost all things, it doesn't matter. He still has joy. Why? Because all of these things are small in comparison to the grace he has received from the fount of every blessing. What we sang this morning. And it's with these words of gratitude that the Apostle Paul shows his profound appreciation of who Jesus is. He is the one who has given me strength. So all the strength that the Apostle Paul needs, he has already been given by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the strength that the Apostle Paul is talking about here, he's not talking about physical strength. He's not talking about economic strength. He's not talking about natural talent and ability. Oh, I'm the best preacher around. And so I've got no problem and I've got plenty of options in front of me. 
I'm the most gifted pastor. No worries. I'm the most gifted member. I've got lots of friends. I've got lots of juice in Christian circles. I published countless books. No, he's not saying any of that at all. The strength that he is referring to here, when we look at the context of this, he's talking about the strength of the gospel. He's talking about the strength that enabled him to be a good and faithful servant of Jesus Christ. He's talking about the strength that is made perfect in weakness. He's talking about the strength that is the power of the gospel, the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. He's talking about the strength that saves the worst of sinners who are drowning in their sin. Brothers and sisters, where does this power and strength come from that the Apostle Paul is celebrating and giving thanks to Jesus for? Well, very clearly, I've just given you the answer. This power and strength, the power and strength to repent and follow Jesus, the power and strength to serve Christ in a way that's pleasing to the Lord, the strength that enables us to be pleasing to the Lord in our marriages, our families, and our ministries. That power and that strength, brothers and sisters, does not come from us. That power and strength does not come from a seminary. That power and strength does not come from Lighthouse Bible Church, San Jose. That strength does not come from family or friends. That strength, brothers and sisters, comes from one place and one person alone. It comes from Christ Jesus, our Lord. With these four words, Christ Jesus, our Lord, the Apostle Paul shows an intimate appreciation of the one who has strengthened him, the one who has placed him in ministry. That word Christ, we mention it often, but for the Apostle Paul, it referred to the king of heaven and earth, the one whom God had given all earthly and heavenly authority. Christ, the one in whom all authority is there, the authority over our jobs, the authority over our roommates, the authority over our spouses, the authority over our marriages. All authority in heaven and earth comes with that name, Christ, because that name, Christ, the anointed one of God, demonstrates that Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's word. Christ Jesus, that name Jesus, which we use so frequently, that name Jesus refers to the promised Savior given by God to save his people from their sins. A promised Savior who we so desperately need. That name Jesus refers to God with us, Emmanuel. And then the two words, our Lord. With those words, Paul demonstrates his appreciation of who Jesus is. Who is Jesus to the Apostle Paul? Jesus is the God who is present in his life. Jesus is the one who is his king. Jesus is the one who is not only Paul's Lord, but Timothy's Lord, and the Lord of all the saints in Ephesus, and all those who believe in Christ. Why? Because he is the Lord who has given his life as a ransom in exchange for their filth and for their sin and for their worthlessness. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Brothers and sisters, 
what overwhelms Paul with joy and with grace and with gratitude is the beauty and glory of who Jesus is according to God's word, not according to what everybody on the street says of who they think Jesus is. It's who Jesus is according to the ministry of the spirit and the word. What overwhelms the Apostle Paul is the beauty and glory of Jesus as the King and the Savior and the Lord of undeserving sinners. The one who gives the strength sinners do not have and do not deserve. The strength we need to live for him rather than living for ourselves. The strength to live for him instead of living for our sin and our earthly pleasures. The strength to live for him instead of living for the desires of respectable things in this world that have no eternal or lasting value. Brothers and sisters, are your lives filled with this type of gratitude? Are your marriages filled with this type of gratitude? Is your ministry and your work filled with this type of gratitude? a gratitude that demonstrates an appreciation for Jesus as the one who is personally done in your life what no other man could or would do. Good servants of Christ Jesus, brothers and sisters, what sets them apart is they are filled with a God-given gratitude for who Jesus is and what he has personally done in their lives. And this brings us to our second point for this morning. Our second point for this morning. A good Savior of Christ Jesus appreciates what Christ Jesus has done for them. A good servant of Christ Jesus appreciates what Christ Jesus has personally done for them. We see this in the rest of verse 12 through 16. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul does in these verses as he walks through the rest of verse 12 all the way down through verse 16. He describes for us what Jesus has done. His thanksgiving and his gratitude is for who Jesus is. And then it moves on to what Jesus has done for the Apostle Paul personally, what he's done tangibly in his life. And he explains to Timothy and us why this gratitude. It is because Christ Jesus has done in the Apostle Paul's life what the Apostle Paul could not do for himself. All his learning, all his wealth, all his family connections, all his privilege, all his studies, none of these things could accomplish what Christ Jesus accomplished in his life, what no other man could accomplish in his life, what no church or synagogue could accomplish. And what exactly did Christ Jesus do that no other man could do or would do for the Apostle Paul? Verse 12b He says, he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service or his ministry, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and insolent opponent. The Apostle Paul is essentially saying here that Jesus, by the power of the gospel, has qualified and appointed the Apostle Paul to serve in Jesus's ministry. Jesus did not just give the Apostle Paul the job of being an apostle. He didn't just say, okay, here you go, I'm giving you this job. He actually made the apostle Paul worthy of that job. 
He actually qualified the Apostle Paul for that job. He gave the Apostle Paul everything he needed to be pleasing to the Lord. He transformed a bitter and ugly hater of Christ Jesus into a good and faithful servant of Christ Jesus. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. And how exactly did Christ Jesus do this? Well, the Apostle Paul explains it to us in detail. Not once, but two times in this section of Scripture. In verse 13 and verse 16, he says, But I received, or I was shown mercy. It's by Christ showing him mercy, the mercy of God, that the Apostle Paul was made fit for ministry and appointed to ministry. And when that word comes in, but, okay, but I receive. The implication of that term, but, in the Greek, is coming and saying that what Jesus gave him, what he showed to him, this mercy, it was unexpected. It was undeserved. It was incredible. It's the opposite of what a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent of Jesus should receive. What a blasphemer and a persecutor and a sinner should receive is God's wrath and judgment. That is right and that is correct and that is according to God's word. That's what Paul deserved. This idea of mercy, what is it? Instead, Jesus gave him mercy. That idea of mercy, it traces its roots to the Old Testament and it's a reference to God's steadfast love. It's a sacrificial and steadfast love that shows committed and compassionate care to those who do not deserve it. Sacrificial and steadfast love that gives committed and compassionate care to those who do not deserve it. And it brings them to salvation. It finishes the job. That's the idea of mercy. It's a love that finishes the job. It's not here, here's five bucks, or here's a book, or here, here's a meal. It's a it's a love that finishes the job and does so compassionately for those who do not deserve it. And in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Jesus illustrates and shows us what this mercy looks like. He does so in Luke chapter 10, in the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's the Good Samaritan who shows what mercy looks like. It's the Good Samaritan who comes to a Jew who has probably despised the Samaritan, looked down on the Samaritan, scoffed at the Samaritan, and yet the Good Samaritan comes alongside as this man is in desperate need of care. And he takes this Jew, this enemy, he puts them on his donkey or mule, he takes them to an inn, and then he pays with his own money for the innkeeper to care for this person to put it on his credit or his account, to bind up wounds, to heal this man, and to restore this man fully, whatever this man needs to be restored to what he was before he was devastated and broken by the sin of this world and his own foolishness. That's what the Good Samaritan shows. And that is the mercy, brothers and sisters, that Paul is coming saying, I give thanks to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, because he saved me, he strengthened me, he put me into ministry. How did he do it? By showing mercy to me. By doing exactly what the Good Samaritan did for that struggling and brutalized man. That's what I was before Jesus showed up. 
It didn't look that way to the world. It looked like I was the best and the brightest and the wealthiest, the one who had the most to give thanks for. If there was a TV crew in the ancient Near East at that time, before the Apostle Paul got converted, the Apostle Paul would be the person they would interview. What are you thankful for this Thanksgiving? I'm thankful for great parents. I'm thankful for family. I'm thankful for friends like my mentor, Gamaliel. I'm thankful for a community. I'm thankful that the Lord has set me apart as a Jew when I'm not like these Gentiles who are pagan and lost or these Christians. And yet in actual fact, the Apostle Paul later shows us in the epistle to the Philippians that he was in bondage to his respectability, to his respectable self-righteousness that was actually tormenting not only his own soul, but the souls of others. Because that's, brothers and sisters, what self-righteousness and works does. We celebrate ourselves and we learn to hate other people. And when we or other people don't measure up to our standards, we persecute them. It's the very opposite of the mercy that Christ shows. Because with Christ, when people persecute him, when people treat him poorly, when people insult him or treat him with disdain, though he was reviled, he did not revile in return. But he was obedient even unto death, that he gave his life for those who treated him poorly. Brothers and sisters, that's mercy. And that's what overwhelms the Apostle Paul. And when the Apostle Paul writes and he says, well, I was shown mercy because I had acted in unbelief, ignorantly in unbelief. He's not making an excuse. He's not saying, well, I got mercy because I wasn't so bad or I I didn't know any better. Let us never use ignorance as an excuse for sin. It's actually the opposite of that. What the Apostle Paul is saying, he's explaining why he needed mercy prior to Christ's intervention on the road to Damascus. He's coming out and saying that he lived and acted as a fool. Ignorance in the Bible is a reference to foolishness. It's the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The fool is the one who does not know God. The fool is the one who does not have the fear of the Lord. And so he carries on as if the Lord is not present. He is the functional atheist or agnostic. I can do whatever I want in the quietness of my room or when no one's looking because nobody sees. The fool has said in his own heart, there is no God. And the fool is the prideful one who celebrates and believes he is secure based on all his scheming, his accomplishment, his work, the size of his home, the quality of his car, the great job that he has, all of those different things, which the Lord comes and says, it is a folly that denies the goodness of God, which is evident everywhere. It is an offense to the Lord, and it is worthy of God's judgment and his wrath. Well, the Apostle Paul is saying, that's what I was, despite all my religious education and all my religiosity. I was a fool. And I was worthy of God's damnation and his judgment. I was an unbeliever. And this is why I so desperately needed the mercy of Christ. And this is why I celebrate the mercy of Christ. Brothers and sisters, do we see our respectable lives apart from Christ as foolishness, as blasphemy, as an offense to the grace of God, as something that makes us big and trivializes what Jesus has done for us on the cross, 
as something that trivializes our sin, as if our sin could be covered by all these wonderful things in our lives. Do we see ourselves and our respectable lives, brothers and sisters, as foolishness and in desperate, desperate need of the mercy of the cross? Brothers and sisters, as long as we see ourselves as being not so bad, can we really say we appreciate what Christ has done for us? Well, clearly the Apostle Paul did appreciate what Christ had done for him. And he appreciated it, even as Jesus said, because only despicable and undeserving creatures, only the sick and the bad, not the good and healthy, only the sick and bad and the despicable and undeserving need God's mercy. The healthy and the good do not need God's mercy. But this is exactly what the Apostle Paul received from Jesus, and this is exactly what Jesus gave to him. Jesus gave to the Apostle Paul his mercy. And in verse 14, the Apostle Paul explains the full implications of Jesus' mercy. He lists three gifts of God that Jesus' mercy poured into his life. The compassion, the balm, the healing medicine that Jesus poured up and bound up the Apostle Paul's wounds and cleaned his life and restored him and put him back into a place where he was right with God and was able to be a good servant of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He shows specifically how mercy worked in his life. Mercy for the Apostle Paul is not some theoretical pie in the sky. In verse 14, he says, if you go back before, he says in verse end of 13, he says, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Okay, verse 14, three gifts of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that his mercy bestowed on the Apostle Paul. The first one is his grace, the grace of our Lord. It's not our grace, it's the grace of our Lord, the grace that comes from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace, brothers and sisters, we know this term and this definition. It is unmerited favor with God. Brothers and sisters, how do sinners... How do fools, how do people who are offensive to the Lord, how do they find favor with the God whom they have trampled upon and trivialized? We must be forgiven, brothers and sisters. We must be transformed. We must be given a right standing with the Lord. Somehow we have to find favor with him. We who are unfavorable, how does that happen? Well, that comes through Christ giving his life for ours. And what we need for that, brothers and sisters, is we need the gift of faith. We need the ability to believe not in ourselves, not in our giftedness, but to believe in God. And we need God's love. How do people who are unlovable become lovable? How do we learn or have the capacity to love anything other than ourselves? We lack the capacity. We're not qualified to even be in a relationship with the Lord, let alone to serve him. All we bring to the table, brothers and sisters, is our trash and our selfishness. 
We need the love of God. We need the love of God poured into our lives. We need faith. Faith to believe in someone other than ourselves. And we need unmerited favor. And this is what the Apostle Paul describes Christ Jesus has given him and poured into his life overflowing. Brothers and sisters, how do dirty trash cans get transformed? How are they used for something good? They need to be cleaned on the outside, but they also need to be filled on the inside. They need to be emptied of their trash, and they need to be filled with something beautiful and something good in order to be something beautiful and something good. And brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul is showing us this is how Christ Jesus' mercy works in our lives. It doesn't just clean us up on the outside. It empties all that trash on the inside and instead fills it with God's grace and his faith and his love. And in this is the way that our Lord and Savior transformed the Apostle Paul into something beautiful and good and worthy and able to serve our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, these are three gifts that not just the Apostle Paul needs. These are three gifts that we all need if we are going to be good servants of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the good news of the gospel and what Paul points out here is this is what Christ has already given us. I know frequently I will pray, Lord, give me more strength. Lord, give me more faith. Lord, give me more grace. Lord, give me more love for these people who are hard in my life. But actually, when we come to Scripture, those prayers are theologically a little bit incorrect. And I have to admit that and confess that to the Lord. Because as we come to this, what the Apostle Paul is saying is, when Christ Jesus saved him, he gave him all of that right from the start. The issue, brothers and sisters, is not the lack of giftedness for the child of God. The issue is our failure to acknowledge it or use it. Well, the Apostle Paul is showing them that his life has been filled with this. And that's why he's able to give thanks in adverse circumstances. Brothers and sisters, the other thing that the Apostle Paul points out with this is, these gifts are needed not just for salvation. They're needed to serve our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They're needed for every step of the journey until Christ comes for us. And the good news of Jesus Christ is he has given us in him and in his life everything that we need for every step of the journey until he comes to get us face to face. Brothers and sisters, there was a a dear friend of our family who we grew up with. It was an elder's family. He was an elder at a prominent church. And his son, who was a little older than myself and who was a dear friend of mine, was struck with a virus while he was a teenager. And in a short period of time, as I've shared with you before, that virus destroyed this young man's kidneys. And we went as a family from seeing this elder son going from a a guy who played hockey and played football and was incredibly fit and active to ending up having to spend weeks in the hospital, unable, had to drop out of school, had to drop out of most things, had to spend time in a hospital gown sitting in the premier children's hospital in Canada 
being looked over by countless physicians and students who could not figure out what to do with him. I remember visiting him in the hospital, and I remember him sharing with me and telling me, Mark, don't be a medical student like all these medical students who are coming in. You know, they just put the blood pressure cuff on, and they asked me to do this, and they asked me to do that, and they have no awareness that how much I'm suffering through this. He said, you know, they asked me to stand up to check my blood pressure, and I'm, I'm passing out because his kidneys weren't functioning, and he was bottoming out. Well, that young man, obviously, in his story had a big impact on me and my family because it turned out later that his mother would be a match for him for a kidney. And his mother donated her kidney, and that kidney was transplanted into that young man. And radically, the surgeons who operated on him and the nephrologists told the mother and the family after, they said, you know what, as soon as we put that kidney in, we could see a change happening in the physiology of this young man's body. It was like day and night. And after that kidney transplant, he did incredibly well because his life had suffered so much up until that point. And his life was radically changed, radically changed, totally different than what it had been for months to years before that time when his mother gave him that kidney. But I remember, remember afterwards the recovery time for his mother was much longer because she had had that kidney removed. But through all of that, and praise God, they are both still alive to this day. My mom still makes phone calls on a regular basis to his mother. What's amazing to see in that man's life is that he always kept with him part of his mother. That life and that kidney that his mother had given him was always with him. And his life to everyone was a testimony of gratitude and indebtedness to a mother who was willing to risk and sacrifice her own life and her own kidney so that her own son could be set free from the bondage of sickness and illness and being bedridden in a hospital on dialysis. Brothers and sisters, that is the picture of what the Apostle Paul is saying has happened in his life. Wherever he goes, even if he's in prison, he carries with him the grace and the mercy and the love and the faith and the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's something that's inside him that no one can take away. And it shows, brothers and sisters, in his service and his ministry, there is nothing he will not do joyfully for his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has given him everything, and it is in here. Brothers and sisters, our, our lives a testimony to the gratitude of what the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has done for each one of us, that everything we need for life and godliness, he has given us. Lord Jesus, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he, he, he's showing us through this his incredible love for us, a love that washes us and takes despicable creatures and makes us into something different. And what the Apostle Paul appreciated in all of these things, he appreciated sincerely what Christ had done for him. Because without Jesus and without the gospel, 
the good news of Jesus Christ. There would be no Apostle Paul. There would only be Saul of Tarsus. Without Jesus and the good news, there would be no Timothy, senior pastor of the church in Ephesus, as hard and difficult as that was. And without Jesus and the cross, there would be no church in Ephesus. There would only be pagans living in the bondage of their idolatry and their sinfulness and the darkness of Ephesus at that time. And that's why the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians very much overlaps with this. As we look at our lives, brothers and sisters, do we see our lives in that way? Do we see our church in that way? That none of what is truly valuable and beautiful in our lives would exist if not for Christ implanting his life in ours and removing the trash of our lives and taking the shame and guilt and ugliness of our sin upon himself. This is what the Apostle Paul is referring to in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, through 11, where he says to the Corinthians, who are so enamored with their own giftedness and forgetting what Christ has done, he says, do not be deceived. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. Do not be deceived. Don't be fooled. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. Brothers and sisters, that refers to all of us. He's just giving examples. He's not giving an exhaustive list. And someone said, well, that's not me. You know, I'm not a swindler. I'm not greedy. I'm not a drunkard. I'm not an adulterer. Well, let's not be so sure on that. Brothers, have you looked at things that you should not look at? Are you an idolater? Have you covered it? A car, a home, a job, or a place in ministry that God has not given you? Have you coveted a life that God has not given you? Have you coveted friends that God hasn't given you? And some were such of you. But then he goes on to say, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is what Christ has done. Brothers and sisters, why did the Apostle Paul care so much? Why did he love so much? Why did he serve as he did? It's because the love of Christ compelled him. Why did he show so much compassion and mercy to others? Because he himself was a testimony and a trophy of Christ's mercy and what it could do for the chief among sinners. And this brings us to our final point, brothers and sisters, for this morning. Good servants of Christ Jesus are grateful to God for the gospel. Good servants of Christ Jesus are grateful to God for the gospel. Brothers and sisters, how thankful are you for the gospel? When was the last time that you jumped up and down and were overwhelmed or at a Thanksgiving dinner 
as people shared everything that they're thankful for, to say, I'm thankful for Jesus Christ and his good news. The Apostle Paul writes in verse 15, he says, The saying, the Logos, is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. In other words, everybody should embrace this. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Well, it's with these words, the Apostle Paul explains to Timothy and us, that everything that he has just described, that has personally happened to him, all that Christ has done for him, what Christ did to make Paul an apostle, emptying him of all the ugliness of his life, showing him mercy, filling his life with the grace and faith and love of God, putting him into ministry and service. This, brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul saying, this is the gospel. That was my personal testimony, but to sum it all up, this is the gospel. This is what Jesus does. He comes and he saves sinners. And what's worth noting here is that part of the gospel What Paul is describing here is Paul's service to Jesus. We think of the gospel as what just gets us into the church door. We think of the gospel as what forgives us of our sins, and then we just go on our merry way. But no, the Apostle Paul is showing us that part of the gospel is our service to Christ, being put in ministry to do the work of the Lord, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others in word and deed to share the gospel with our children, our wives, our neighbors. This is all part of the gospel because the gospel is the good news of what God has done to save sinners through the death and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And that is what is given and shared to all who believe, not just some, not just to the elites like the Apostle Paul, not just to your pastor and not just to ministers or missionaries and so paul is coming and summing this all up and saying brothers and sisters this is the gospel this is what i'm so thankful for this is why my heart is filled with gratitude and it is filled with joy it's not just for me to make me an apostle and to make me a super saint all of this christ has given to you and it's so interesting to go to second peter chapter one where the apostle peter says to those he's writing that they share the same faith and they are of equal standing as the Apostle Peter. Do you think of yourself as having equal standing with John MacArthur? Do you think of yourself as having equal standing with the Apostle Paul, with John Piper, with all the big names, Al Mohler, Mark Trevor? Do you think of yourself as equal standing as all the great missionaries, Martin Luther, David Livingston, Amy Carmichael. Well, no, we don't. And we don't think of ourselves as having a faith of equal standing because we measure ourselves based on our merit. Well, I haven't done as much as John MacArthur. I haven't written as many books. I haven't preached as many sermons. My church doesn't have 6,000 or 7,000 people. But brothers and sisters, that's so contrary to the gospel. Because our standing before the Lord, our favor, is based on Christ's work. His grace, his faith, his mercy, his love, not our accomplishments in our work. 
And what sustains us in ministry, brothers and sisters, in our marriages and in our homes, is not our intelligence or accomplishment or work. It is his grace, his mercy, his love. And when it's looked at that way, and that's how God looks at us, we are of equal standing with the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul and John MacArthur because our standing is based on Christ and what he has done for us, not brothers and sisters, our personal, natural talents or giftedness in what we do. Brothers and sisters, that is a gift that is priceless. Christ has given us himself. He has shown mercy and patience for us all. And the Apostle Paul goes on to say, our lives serve as testimonies to everyone else of the patience and the mercy of Christ. It's a demonstration to all others. We did not deserve, but he's given us everything that we so desperately needed. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is a nuclear bomb of God's mercy and grace and faith and love that are found in one place and one place alone, Christ Jesus. But it's made available to everyone who believes in him. And this is what fills and overwhelms the Apostle Apostle Paul's heart with praise and appreciation for the God of the Bible. That's where gratitude, true gratitude, leads us, brothers and sisters. When you genuinely have gratitude that comes from above, where does it lead you? Leads you to one place and one place alone. Verse 17, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, gratitude is the fingerprint of Christ's mercy and grace in our lives. Gratitude is the fingerprint of Christ's mercy and grace in our lives. It shows where he himself has come down and touched our lives and enabled us to see the wonder of who he truly is. When people see that gratitude in our lives, they see the areas in our lives where Christ has come and done a work in our lives and poured his mercy and grace. Where that gratitude is absent, brothers and sisters, it's a demonstration that this is an area that we're resisting or not allowing Christ's grace and mercy to come in and work in our lives. But instead, we're covering up and trying to do it on our own. All over the news this morning, the talk of the town, what is it? It's Mike Tyson's fight with Roy Jones, two former heavyweight and light heavyweight champions fighting at the age of 54 and 50, I think. This is what captures the headlines in America post-Thanksgiving on a Sunday afterwards. This is what everybody's talking about. And yet it's a picture illustration, brothers and sisters, not only of America, our nation, our politics and our lives. You know, the world is fixated on a 54-year-old man chasing a 50-year-old man around the ring, trying to beat him up. And that's what our politics has been for the last four years. People running around on stage trying to beat one another up. And we're mesmerized and we're entertained. And our eyes are so fixated on these things that we have no view 
of the greatness and the glory of who Jesus is, that he is coming soon, and that he has given us a gift more precious than all of these things put together. And the result and the consequence, brothers and sisters, is anxiety, depression, and despair. It's like a magic show where for a few minutes or a few moments we're mesmerized by what's going on on stage. And perhaps for a few minutes we're entertained. But then we walk away. And that magic show or that form of entertainment or that sleight of hand can do absolutely nothing for our marriages, our homes, our relationships, or our lives. And we go back to exactly what we were before we started looking at that. Brothers and sisters, that's, that's how we roll on our phones, our TVs, our entertainment, especially during COVID. And the tragedy and the sadness is that we miss out on the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done. And that's why the Apostle Paul is writing this. And it brings us to our close. And thank you for bearing with me because this has been very much on my heart. I've been ministered to as I look at my own life and say, what am I thankful for? Who is it that helps me? Why do I get discouraged in ministry? Why do I get encouraged in ministry? To evaluate my own heart. And so what I want you to do, brothers and sisters, is to meditate this week. What is it that you are truly thankful for? And then I want you to consider application. Gratitude, brothers and sisters, is a gift from the Lord. But it is also an intentional practice. And when we go to Ephesians 5, 15 through 21... The Apostle Paul shows that it's one of the ways we walk in the Spirit, singing psalms and spiritual hymns, walking in the Spirit, walking wisely, but always giving thanks. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to call on you to be intentional this week, to be intentional about giving thanks to Jesus Christ, to be thankful for all he has done, to take time to meditate on all the ways he has changed your life. Get a sheet of paper, write out on that sheet of paper, what your life was like before Christ came into your life. And then write down what Christ Jesus has done. I know it's not perfection, but if he has been present, it should be remarkably different from what it was before. If it's not, brothers and sisters, it's time to look to Jesus for the mercy that he longs to give to you. As we look at our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, and we look at the scripture that Kevin read to us this morning, Jesus himself was filled with gratitude. And he was filled with gratitude to the Father. And what specifically was he thankful for? That the Father had opened up the eyes of simple children like the disciples. And he'd hidden the good news from the wise. Now Jesus at that point in time had every reason to despair. His ministry was not going well. He performed miracles he had preached. And he had been rejected, by and large, by Bethsaida and Chorazin and all the people who had seen incredible miracles. If that was me, I probably would have been incredibly discouraged. And as he looked around him, he had, at best, 12 men, one who was going to betray him, for sure. All the rest were going to fall away. And as he looked at those fishermen, tax collectors, they were not the most promising of people. And yet he gave thanks to the Lord. Why did he give thanks for them to God? He gave thanks not because of them, their natural talent or ability or how great they were. He gave thanks for God's grace, that God would take such simple and broken and pathetic men as these, and that through the promise of his word, 
through the cross and through the resurrection, through God's steadfast love and mercy, these men would be transformed. And God would show little children the glory of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, my prayer for you and my hope for you is that you would be able to appreciate in one another, your spouses, your friends, your pastor, the elders, all those around you, not who they are, but instead to appreciate the grace that is at work in them because of the good news of Jesus Christ, that you would celebrate that, that you would rejoice in that, that that would give you compassion for ministry and hope to endure in hard times so that together we might be able to give thanks and praise and all glory to the Lord. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, this Thanksgiving, may it be a Thanksgiving that is filled not with ourselves, our friends, our families. Would instead it be filled, Lord Jesus, with you. We have every reason, Lord Jesus, to give thanks. Everything we need for life and godliness, you have given us. You have given this church, Lighthouse Bible Church San Jose, everything that we need. It's not in the elders, the deacons, the pastor, or the members. Lord Jesus, it's what you have taken out of our lives and what you put in. Your grace, your mercy, your faith, your love. Lord Jesus, your good news. May we never veer away from the gospel for the sake of these secondary things. May we never be like the false teachers to sacrifice our focus on the gospel in favor of the programs or the entertainment of men. Instead, Lord Jesus, would your gospel hold us near the cross and would this world be changed not because of us, but because of you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you will do in humble servants like ourselves. In your name we pray, amen.